I'm going to invite Jules up to, to read a bit of scripture this morning that will really set the scene, hopefully, for this next, next season of talks. So this is from Luke 13, verse 18 to 21. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 30 kilograms of flour until it worked all through the dough. But that is mustard seed for the benefit of the recording. It's um, the small black dots. Brilliant. That's mustard seed. Jesus, when he said this, in another, in another chapter of another book, it says um, it grows so large that even birds come and rest in its branches. Um, that's not what mustard does. No, it doesn't grow like that at all. It's, uh, Jesus was using hyperbole to say that this tiny seed can become this big thing. And then he says, yeast, that a woman took and mixed into about 30 kilograms of flour, just a little bit of yeast, a pinch of yeast, but still it was able to spread throughout the dough. So today is somewhat of an introduction uh, and a, a rationale of what growth means to us here in GCC. And uh, you might think, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about um, evangelism and growth and talking about these things that we should really just shut up and get on with it uh, rather than keep talking about it. That's my challenge this morning at the end of this, that we, you know, we don't just go, hmm, nice, uh, but we start living the theory. So today we're going to look at where we're at at the moment and some of the things that have brought us here um, and also talking about the challenge to pursue where we could be. So a bit of vision casting for us as well. A quick scan around. I reckon we've got, what, uh, 58. Sue, would you mind just counting uh, backs of heads just in your own time? Uh, uh, I did that Oh, did you? Yeah, how many? Oh, brilliant. Yeah. 60. Oh. I don't like to be, you know, that classic evangelist and say there's 197 people here, you know. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's adults, not including, you know, the kids and things that have gone to groups. And that is, you know, it's uh, for us who have been here over the past few years, um, this represents a, uh, an increase on, on what we have experienced over the past few years. So can I say that we have grown somewhat? Interesting. Are we in a period of growth? Uh, yeah, we are. And I shall outline that for us. So this, this series on growth is going to uh, include acceptance of others. Uh, growth means maturity, growing up individually ourselves. It means sacrifice. It means choices and it means change. Growth brings about and is spurred on by all of these things. So today's an overview Growth isn't in our belong, believe, be changed strapline. It is, however, in our vision that says that we are to be a healthy, growing church where people can meet Jesus, know him, and make him known. Hopefully that, that sentence won't be news to you because we did a whole thing on the vision, aims, and values of GCC. And that 
it took us some time, but that's what we boiled down the vision of the church to, to be a healthy, growing church where people can meet Jesus, know him, and make him known. And that encompasses everything we do through acts of service, through our small group times together, through our individual growth with God. That's, um, it's brilliant in terms of its you know, importance for our lives, but it's not unique. Any church could have that. It doesn't describe every church, that vision, but hopefully people could take that on for themselves. And what, you know, we don't want to pursue growth through clever marketing and attracting people who are already Christians from other churches, because that isn't the spread and growth of the kingdom of God. That's the spread and growth of GCC. We want to be a healthy, growing church. Primarily, we want to see people encounter Jesus, to meet Jesus for themselves and to encounter him and dedicate their lives to him and be a part of us as a a growing body of people who have met Jesus. And it is our absolute privilege as a family here today to have people in our midst who have met Jesus during their time with us and have been baptized uh, during their time with us as well. You know, it's, it's awesome to, to look around and see faces whose stories I, I know from their first encounters with Christ. Fantastic. That's, that's just brilliant. So our first aim is to have Jesus at the center of all we are and do. And then... It's not about bums on seats, which is what that was. I did have a bunch of pictures I could have used for bums on seats, but literally they were bums and there were seats. So I thought this one was just better, a crowd of people. Um, I I stared at this one for hours whilst doing this talk. And seriously, um, it was that guy, obviously, right down the lens. It caught my attention. Uh, And also there was, uh, where's the other lady? Oh, this one. I love her expression. She's just, she's like, she's looking at the camera. It might be a new thing. She's not seen it before, but she's just like, hi, I love you. And just the, yeah. Good. So um, Matthew 28 verse 18 says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Fantastic. That sums up what Jesus was saying when he said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that grows and grows. And in its early stages, it could be like this canvas over here where you've got this plant that is in its early stages of growth. It's still fragile. Things could go wrong. But when it becomes this tree, it can resist things, but it continues to spread and provide shelter and nourishment for others. And mustard is prolific. It's a bit like a weed in some places. It just, it, because so many, so many seeds are produced by each flower head, each one of those has the potential to be this wild spreading weed. More on mustard later. Uh, Bill Hybels said that the local church is the hope of the world and its future rests primarily in the hands of its leaders. No pressure at all there then. Hope of the world. All right then. 
So the local church, that's us, is the hope of the world. Andy Stanley put a slightly different spin on it and said, you know what? Jesus is the hope of the world and the local church is the vehicle of expressing that hope to the world. That one sits a bit better with me. Um, it's not to say that the first one doesn't have merit, absolutely, but you know, and it inspired this, this uh, slightly different spin on it. Uh, if you have not encountered Andy Stanley before, uh, do make a note of that name. That guy can, well, he can talk the hind legs off a donkey, but also he can make that donkey get up and walk again. It's, uh, he's, he's got a verbal gift to com- communicate uh, God's love for people. Jesus is the hope of the world, and the local church is the vehicle of expressing that hope to the world. And it's our hope that we get to express that in a very practical way, in a very real way, in a very meaningful and God-centered, Jesus-empowered um, you know, way that attracts people to what we do. And bums on seats, people here this morning, numbers is such a small part of that. It's about the spread of the kingdom and about encountering Jesus. Mustard is not a tree. It's a bush. You might have seen it. It's a, it's a herb. It's a, uh, um, you know, this, this weed-like thing. And, but it's the same with the mustard and the yeast, that their primary function is growth and spread. That's their, their main thing. If yeast didn't spread, if it didn't, if it didn't grow, if it wasn't living, you'd need as much yeast as you had flour to be able to you know, get the stuff going. And so she'd need 30 kilograms of yeast and 30 kilograms of flour. But no, she had, with a 30 kilograms of flour, we're talking about a small addition of yeast, working it through the dough. Have you ever made your own loaf of bread at home? Yeah, you've done a bit of kneading of, uh, I'm guessing, tops, 500 grams of flour. No, an 800 gram loaf. So maybe, yeah, 600 grams of flour. By no means has anyone here, I can say with some certainty, taken a batch of 30 kilograms of flour and tried to make bread out of it. 30 kilograms of flour and made bread out of it with a little bit of yeast. The thing is that it took so much effort on the baker's part to knead it, to, uh, to work that through the dough. So this isn't something where we get to say, we as a church believe in growth, and any time God wants to do that, we are just, you know, we're ready to receive that. We've got to play our part. We've got to be the farmer who puts the seed in the ground. We've got to be um, the, the plant that actually grows. We've got to be the, the baker who kneads that yeast into the dough. We've got to play our part in spreading the good news of Jesus in practical and, and expressive ways to our community. I want to go through a little bit of where we're at versus where we want to be and some of the theory behind it and, uh, and some of the dangers that we experience in different, uh, in different stages of growth. Now, we're a small church. Okay? We are bigger than a house church. I believe under 40 in the membership is the generally accepted sort of boundary for a house church, and over 40, between uh, 40 and uh, it's 150 for, you know, the small church. And then you've got this medium-sized church of, a, you know, a couple of hundred to 400, and then it gets to big church after that. And, uh, and that can go all the way up to the many thousands. And they're different, aren't they? They're different. If we were a church of 500, 
then some of the stuff that we've done this morning wouldn't be appropriate. Some of the, oh, can I just interrupt? Uh, would be like, no, uh, <laughs> that's not on the plan. Uh, we can't do that. We can do that as a small church. We can, we can have you know, that interactivity between uh, what's planned and what's experienced. And as I say, there are different dynamics and also different dangers. So it's important to know that a large church is not simply a bigger small church. It's not just more people, same thing going on. In fact, the differences between a large church and a small church are bigger in terms of practices in terms of how things are structured and organized and what goes on, that the differences are bigger than two similarly sized different denominational churches. You'll find more similarity with a similarly sized Methodist church and ourselves than you would with a similarly evangelical 500 people strong church. You know, there'd be massive differences in that, not in theology, of course, but in just in practice, in in how we go about relating to each other and to our communities. Timothy Keller, who wrote extensively on this subject and who I've largely ripped off uh, for most of what I'm talking about, says the smaller church by its nature gives immature, outspoken, opinionated and broken members a significant degree of power over the whole body, which is why I've said, your voice is powerful, use it wisely. Since everyone knows everyone else, when members of a family or small group express strong opposition to the direction set by the leaders, their misery can hold the whole congregation hostage. If they threaten to leave, the majority of people will urge the leaders to desist in their project. Cool. Timothy Keller does not hold back, does he? Which is why I quoted him rather than expressing it as my own opinion, because then I can blame him for what he wrote. Word for word, uh, that's a quotation. And he goes on to say, it's extremely difficult to get complete consensus about programs and directions in a group of 50 to 150 people, especially in today's diverse, fragmented society. And yet smaller churches have an unwritten rule that for any new initiative to be implemented, Nearly everyone must be happy with it. Leaders of small churches must be brave enough to lead and to confront immature members in spite of the unpleasantness involved. So I'd like to say I'm sorry uh, for any past hurts or for any future hurts where we've had to say no. Because as we grow, our individual projects are going to probably remain individual projects where you're passionate about something, you want other people to be passionate about it. And you want the whole church to get on board with what you're passionate about, which is fantastic. But we have to remain committed to some of the things that we do, which involves saying no to new initiatives, even if, for you, it seems like the most important thing. And it's a difficult balance. If ever you've got five minutes, do pray for us as a leaders team where we have to... To say no, because dissent and division in a church that's this size can have a hugely damaging effect. It really can. I've seen it happen. My parents have led churches where, where there's just been a, a, a personality clash and nothing more. Not a theological you know, opposition to something that's being said. There's no heresy from the front. Just a personality clash. But someone 
brought you know, other people along with them and it created a fraction which destroyed the church. That is not a painless experience, I can tell you. Who's been part of a church that's undergone a split and can remember the hurt from that? Yeah, a dozen hands. People are rubbish, aren't we? No, unity is so important. We've got to, we've got to recognize that no matter what is so important to ourselves, there's a bigger thing at stake here, and we put aside our own personalities to try to try to experience what God's got for us. Again, Timothy Keller says, and this certainly sums up some of my own experience here at GCC, the larger the church, the higher its aesthetic bar must be. In smaller churches, the worship experience is rooted mainly in horizontal relationships among those who attend. Musical offerings from sinners who are under... Sinners. Musical offerings from singers sorry, who are untrained and not especially talented, no, this is me, not him, um, are nonetheless appreciated because we all know them. Yeah? Oh, oh Pete, you know, there's some duff chords there, but, you know, it's Pete. He's only been playing the guitar because, you know, we didn't have a guitarist. Um, and so, yeah, we all know him, so that's fine. They are members of the fellowship. But the larger the church, the more worship is based on the vertical relationship, on a sense of transcendence. The band is there to facilitate you encountering God. And whilst that's true of that horizontal thing, it's more of a we're all in this together approach in a church this size. So if an outsider comes in who doesn't know the musicians, then a mediocre quality of production will distract them from worship. They don't have a relationship with the musicians to offset the lack of giftedness. <laughs> You're like, stop it. Did you say that? It's not mean. So the larger the church, the more the music becomes an inclusion factor. But I've written, is it too slick? <laughs> You're nodding. We're not at that point here, are we? No. But you can encounter things that you can't tell the difference between a concert and a worship set. You can't, you can't say, you know, am I, am I like, hooray, you played that really well, or am I like, hooray, Jesus is Lord? And so mm, that's an interesting one that we, I hope we have that, you know, wrestle with that in the future where we're so professional that we need to go, hang on a minute here, where's our focus? But the temple worshippers um, would, would practice daily. They'd be, you know, fully paid musicians. Uh, which brings the question, would we rather have a set of session musicians who are note perfect but not believers, or would we have what we've got? Yeah, brilliant. So, you know, band, we're doing well. Yeah, <laughs> Emily's like, woohoo! Imagine if the answer was the other way. <laughs> a couple of people going, does sound good though. Right. Uh, so maybe but for some, the necessary changes that growth brings uh, are uncomfortable. You might feel that the church has kind of lost its way or become impersonal as we grow. So if you turn up and, and then uh, you don't turn up, and then you turn up the week after and no one asks you, oh, where were you last week? Then you might have just come to a church where you can be anonymous 
And that's, that's interesting of a church of a few thousand as well. It's my experience whilst I was growing up at university. Um, yeah, whilst I was at university, I went to Southampton um, Central Hall, community church at the time. And I eventually was a, a small group leader there and, and fully plugged in. But for the first few weeks, I was finding my feet at university. I was finding the building as well, finding my way around the city. Um, but I could just slip in and slip out um, quite, you know, quite anonymously. And I could have remained doing so. That's not a slight on, on them and their welcoming and their culture at all. But in a church this size, I always say that the church is like a helicopter. You know, get too close, you get sucked into the rotors. Um, and, oh, come on, some of you, you've heard that joke before. Still good, though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> good. And uh, hopefully that is not a burden, but you feel that, you, that you're needed, that you can be part of something, that you can give to what we've got. If you come in and it seems like everything's sorted, then you go, yeah. Okay, they can get on. And you get so many so stories of people saying, I used to be a worship leader at my last church. And, oh, really? Do you do that here? No, they don't need me. It's like, oh, oh, that's sad. You know, especially if it's what you feel your calling is. These are things that we need to balance. So as a leaders team, I'd love to say that we are indeed listening. And this becomes important at the end of what I've got to say. Um, you know, we are listening. We're not like the boy with the hands in his ears going, la, 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 la. We do need to listen to us as a church as we grow forward and as we, as we experience change that hopefully, you know, you'll notice amongst us. Some things have to change. So I believe that growth is with us for a while and I believe that it's been with us for the last 18 months or so. I did... I, did a little talk as part of a family forum on the three areas of growth that we might experience. Numbers, personal growth, and growth in excellence of what we do. And uh, I don't know if anyone else but me remembers that. But, you know, I believe that we're in a, part, a season of growth. But what about you? What's your personal response to this? Because I've been talking corporately as we as a family as GCC. And so I've got some questions. And the questions are on little bits of paper, and they're up on the website in the usual way. And you can talk these through in your small groups, because it's important for us to think about these things. What is it about GCC that you particularly love or enjoy at the moment? And is that thing that you've identified at risk as we change and grow? If you love the fact that you know everyone here, and that you've got a relationship with everyone. If you walk in and you feel welcomed by a family of people who all know you, that is at risk as we grow. That feeling is at risk as we grow. You will know people. You might know more people. But there's, that, there's something special about everyone knows me. Is that at risk? Growth is a core quality of the kingdom of God. What part do you individually see yourself playing in the spread of his kingdom in Gillingham? I'm not going to give you examples on that one. What part do you play in the spread of his kingdom? The kingdom of God is like something that grows and spreads as part of his kingdom. What, are you, uh, what role do you play in that? Uh, which of the cultural or structural changes identified in the talk most scares you? Uh, and why? Is it the reduced power of the individual voice no longer being heard? Is it the need for higher quality 
there's less general consensus sought on decisions, you're less likely to know everyone, something else. And what is your response to this? If your response needs communicating to the leaders, how will you do it and what do you expect from it? And I think that's fantastic. I'm expecting some feedback here as you, as you go through these, and I'm not expecting it to be all sweetness and light and easy. And that's really important for us to talk about. It's hard, but worth doing. Jesus prayed in John 15, verses 20 to 23. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their, the disciples' message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The world believes that Jesus is the Son of God because of the unity of the believers. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you've sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. As a leaders team, we were on a retreat earlier this week and we spent a couple of days dedicated to looking at uh, you know, the life of the church and what we're doing and things like that. And we were struck by, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, how awesome this church is. You know, we have a love for you that, is, um, that just continually grows. And as any family, there's going to be some difficulties that we need to work through. And what a blessing it is for us to lead a team of people that looks to bless the community. And how, how, just, how great that is. And also, what a great job so many people do, selflessly dedicating time, effort and money uh, to work wholeheartedly towards the benefit of someone else. Uh, someone said that the, I think it was Bill Hybels again, said that the, uh, the church is the only organization exists for the benefit of its non-members. Okay, we want to benefit the community at large. And as soon as you become a part of us, you find yourself working towards the benefit of people who are not members. You know, what an awesome um, way to look at ourselves. So what sacrifice? Put forward by so many people so please know that you are appreciated not for what you do but for who you are and you are loved and you are part of something that God has called us to do here and we can only do it together so I pray that those challenges those questions bring up some real discussion that's important in your own heart and mind and as you as you um, wrestle with this idea of growth that you know we um, we don't, we don't ignore it. It's something that, that will happen and does happen and is happening. And uh, if we go along as we are and we just get bigger and bigger and bigger as in the same way that we already are, then it will reach a limit and it will stifle further growth and it will be uh, possibly destructive. So we need to be aware of some of the, you know, the pitfalls and the, the strategies for, for incorporating that growth. I'm just going to uh, pray to finish because I've gone on for 27 and a half minutes when I was aiming for 20. So uh, I won't read those other bits. Father God, I pray that as we encounter um, the world 
as a church, as a church family, as we encounter our community in the struggles that the community is going through in their times of need and also in their joys, Father God. I pray that we would do so in a way that shows you to the world, that we would live out that vision of being a place where people can meet Jesus, can know Jesus and can make him known. Father God, be with us. And I pray that no matter where we are in this place or in another place, that we would be able to draw people to you. In Jesus' name, amen.